Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. We're going to jump into our message on living letters. And so we've been going through Paul's epistles in the New Testament and in a maybe unusual format, we're trying to cover the whole book in one day. And so today's book that we want to cover is Second Corinthians. Uh, last week we looked at First Corinthians, and Pastor Jerry gave us a message about that. And this week we want to look at Second Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians, so you know, was written about 55 A.D. So this is about 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection when Paul wrote. And it was probably about one year after he wrote First Corinthians. And as Jerry mentioned last week, there, there's a note in that Paul makes in Corinthians about some other letters he wrote. So we don't have those in the scripture. We never found those. But apparently he wrote about four letters total. So 2 Corinthians might actually be 4th Corinthians. But if I asked you to open to 4th Corinthians, you probably wouldn't find it. So we know it as 2 Corinthians. And he had a, a really personal uh, relationship and yet there was some fracturing to it sometimes and some frustration to it some, sometimes as he worked with these people that lived in the city of Corinth. So uh, this is what it would look like, part of it today. Uh, this would have been one of uh, their temples to one of their goddesses that was in the town. And you can travel, anyone travel to the Mediterranean and you go to some of these sites in the various New Testament towns. They're still there today. You can see a lot of this. So that's what it looked like at Corinth was a sea port. It had two harbors. And so here's uh, one of them. This is a modern day picture. But actually, this is Paul's red convertible right there. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to point that out. He had like preferred parking near the water, you know, because he was an apostle and everything. So, but, uh, so it's a beautiful place out over there. Um, and here it is on a map. You see in the circle... So Corinth kind of, you see where they would have had the two harbors, one on the east side and one on the northwest side. And so now there is a, a canal that goes through there. But in, in Paul's day, right in 55, there wasn't a canal. So in order to save that long, dangerous sea journey all the way around to the other side, they would actually, if a larger boat was coming in on the one side, they would unload it. And there was a road, they would they would transport all the cargo across to the other side. And if it was a smaller ship, they would actually lift the whole ship out of the water and put it on these rollers and just roll the ship across to the other side. So in 67, AD 67, they started to build a canal, but then it, they stopped. It really didn't get finished till the 1800s. So now you see in the left there, this would be like a postcard you could send home if you visited, but it shows the canal that they built in the late 1800s when they finished it to connect those two seaports. So this is, it was a vibrant city uh, based on that, being near the water and having vibrant trade, and it had a lot of diversity within its own culture. So we want to look at what Paul says to them uh, as we look at the text. And uh, so some things you could write down for an overview. Paul talks about suffering and how sufferings used to reveal God's glory. So you'll find that in chapter 1. And then 
He asked the faithful ones to continue to be strong in the church there in verses or chapters one through seven and then chapters eight and nine specifically deal with uh, giving a gift to some others that were in need. And then the la- there's 13 chapters total. So chapters 10, 11, 12 and 13, he kind of talks to the people that were creating some trouble. And so that's how he concludes the letter with addressing them. So if you read through the whole thing, maybe any of you following along in your Living Letters books, you've read through it then this week and you've seen some of that. Um, in your book, I wanted you to highlight, uh, there's one great, uh, there's lots of great things in there, but at the beginning with the introduction of the letter, there is a QR code there and it takes you to a video. Now this video is eight and a half minutes long. And at the end of the video, this is what you see on your computer screen. But at the beginning of the video, there's nothing there. So anyone watch these videos? Yeah, so they're helpful. And so they'll walk you through, in this case, eight and a half minutes, they'll walk you through what Second Corinthians is all about. And as they narrate it, they're drawing the pictures. So we're going to focus on this part. Uh, in chapter 5 mostly today, which you can't see from there. I know you can't see it, but I wanted to show you. This was a, It's a great tool that's in here. You can do it at the beginning of the week before you read, or you can do it at the end or whenever, but it's a great tool uh, online. Now, we didn't create these videos, um, but we they're good resources that we use to help you. So that's right from YouTube there. And so we'll focus on that part today. So uh, in your Bibles, if you want to open to... Second Corinthians, we'll be focusing really on chapter 5. And here Paul remembers his purpose. Amidst all the stuff that's going on, Paul remembers his purpose. So let's take a minute and pray as you open your Bibles to chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. And we'll ask God to, to help us through. God, we're thankful that we have your word this morning. We really want you to teach us, train us in righteousness correct us. Uh, So have your way, Holy Spirit. uh, Soften our hearts and open our hearts to hear from your word. And God, we're just thankful uh, for the gift that it is uh, to have your written word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So Paul remembers his purpose, and I want to read uh, out of the Bible from chapter 5, specifically verses 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. And Paul writes this to them. He says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. 
And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a beautiful passage, and it shows uh, Paul's heart for these people, but it shows Paul's heart for the gospel and reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians might be the most um, autobiographical-feeling letter, and if you've read it this week, uh, you maybe have sensed that. Paul's really, like, hashing out a lot of stuff of his relationship with the people there. And so he's saying a lot about himself and and uh, some of the struggles that they had, some of the ways he would love them, and he was trying to prove that. So along the way then, though, he remembers his purpose, and he's like, this is really what it's all about. So I love in the, as he begins, and it's in uh, verse 16, he focuses on... Um, In verse 14, he focuses on that it's a love for Jesus that drives him. He says, this is what compels, depending on the translation you're reading. This compels me. This motivates us. Right? This drives us. We love Jesus Christ. And therefore, even if you go back to verse 13, we started in verse 14. If you look at verse 13, he's like, we're beside ourselves. If it seems that way to you, like we're crazy, it's for God. If we're of sound mind. It's for you. He's talking about the, the different perceptions he's getting from people. And then he's saying all that is motivated by this love for Jesus that drives him. And I love that example that Paul sets. In fact, uh, some of the people were using Paul's struggles to say, eh, he's probably not an apostle. He's not really sent from God. We don't need to listen to him. Because if we needed to listen to him, then God would favor his life a lot more. And that's a dangerous, uh, has some dangerous presuppositions behind that. Today we might call that the health and prosperity gospel or something like that. That God's always going to work out everything the way you want for your satisfaction. And that proves that God is for you. Paul's like, no, that's not what proves God is for you. And Paul's saying, look, amidst all my struggles, I have not lost my apostleship. I have not lost my responsibility and privilege to minister to you and to give you God's truth. And they were, some of the people were trying to dismiss Paul uh, for that reason. But do you think we slip into that trap ourselves a little bit sometimes? I think we do in our world. You know, when something works out, with this, sometimes we're so temporarily minded for the things of this world instead of eternally minded that we measure like it's working out. We're like, oh, God is for me. I was great. All the lights were green. I mean, God knows what he's doing or something like that. You know, we might do it just in little ways that seem silly sometimes, but maybe we do it in bigger ways. Um, The disciples kind of thought that way too when the man was born blind in John chapter 9. And they said, oh, who caused this? Like something caused this, you know? Whose sin was it? And Jesus like, no, it doesn't always work that way. This was done so that the glory of God could be revealed. And Paul gets into that 
a lot in this, that the glory of God can be revealed. So back to this main text, in verse 16, he'll say, we regard no one from an earthly perspective or from an earthly point of view. In the translation I read, it says, we recognize no one according to the flesh. I want us to think about that for a minute, what Paul is really getting at. See, the Corinthians were very much focused on an earthly perspective in everything they did, pretty much. They made worldly decisions. They made unimportant decisions. And so because of that, it was affecting their ability to see clearly spiritually. One of the ways they did this is was they dismissed Paul. Some of them dismissed Paul because he wasn't as good of an orator as some other guys in the city. So maybe he stumbled on his speech sometimes. Maybe he had to pause to gather his thoughts. He, he didn't seem, uh, his oration wasn't as polished as other people. And so they're like, oh, these guys, the guys that are all polished and put together, well-spoken, they're the ones we're going to listen to. Um, in fact, in verse 13, when Paul says, you might think we're out of our mind, he actually uses this Greek word, And it means an orator who fails due to an unpolished delivery. So when he says in verse 13, you might see that, you think I'm out of my mind. He's using a word that they know to be. You might think that I don't have this polished delivery and so you're dismissing me. No. The love of Christ controls me, compels me to share this with you. And you need to listen to what I'm saying. And so they had this kind of, um, I guess we probably do that too, right? And nowadays, think about, uh, you know, think about regular pastors who preach every week, right? Knowing that you go and listen to all the podcasts during the week of all these polished guys in the country, right? No pressure, right? Well, that was all right, but man, it wasn't like that guy or that guy's really good or, you know? And so we probably all have those those ways that maybe we do that. And that's not to say a good speaker isn't a good speaker. We're glad that they are good speakers. And um, sorry you have to put up with me today, but here I am, out of my mind, and the love of Christ controls me. Well, what else does he say that sort of bears this point, this earthly perspective? Okay, so back in chapter 4, verse 7, it's a familiar... How many of you have heard that phrase, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay? And those of you that go back as old as I am, you might remember the band Jars of Clay. And you're like, yeah, rock on, let's go to a concert. Okay? And younger people have no idea. And you're like, why would the band name themselves Jars of Clay? Well, that's why, because it's chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, But Corinth had this reputation for exquisite bronze vessels, these beautiful vessels. Now think about a bronze vessel versus a clay jar, clay vessel. Two main differences. You could probably think of them. One is just the look. One's, uh, or you know, uh, is thought of as beautiful and ordained as wow, that's amazing. I want to look at that. And the other one is dull, kind of boring. The other main difference is their durability. And so this bronze vessel, if it knocked over or you dropped it, well, maybe you get a scratch or a dent, but probably not even that. But if you had this clay vessel. You know, if you're an archaeologist there now, they're still digging up remains of all these cities. There's tons of broken clay pots all over the place. 
right? They, they didn't last as long. They would break. So Paul is saying in chapter 4, as he leads into this whole bit in chapter 5, he's saying, we have this treasure, this good news of the gospel, the glory and the light of God inside us. God chose to put it in a jar of clay. The contrast of what God did by using his people to carry forth the message of his glory and his light instead of putting it in these, you know, this beautiful thing that would get the attention. You see, God is the strong one. We are not. God is the one that's there for the glory, not us. And so God's intention is that, is to care that his truth gets carried in people like us uh, in jars of clay. So that clay contrasts with the eternal uh, treasure that God gives us. But nowadays, think about who the influencers are. You know, celebrities, athletes, popular speakers, right? There's a lot of, uh, and with social media, there's tons of influence on every generation and particularly the younger generation. But who do they want to follow and who do they want to listen to? The people that look put together, the people that have the money. Like there's, this is still really happening today, much like it was in Corinth. And then those people become the ones that the generations are receiving a message from. And Paul's like, wait, we have a way better message even though we don't have as many Instagram followers, right? If you see someone has, you know, 1.7 million followers, would you say that's a lot or small? I mean, that's probably less than what you guys have, but you'd be like, whoa, right? I know I met a teenager who has five, between his accounts has over 5 million followers on social media. Because he can play basketball well. What message do we have though to bring forth? And Paul's saying we carry that in jars of clay. Uh, particularly in their day, they had this group of people called the Sophists. They were these Greek, uh, the guys that rose to the top based on their oratory skills and their ability to promote what was wise, what the government wanted. And so the sophists loved their place of privilege and authority. They were the influencers of the day, big time. And so in fact, uh, it was a crowning achievement to be a sophist. So there was one guy, his name was Favorinus. He actually had a statue of him and it got taken down. So in the historical records, there's a quote. He, he realizes it got removed and he comes into the city and he says, ought I not to have a bronze statue here in this city? And then he answers his own question. Yes, but he doesn't just stop there. He goes, and in every city, right? It was like me in high school. I had a button that said, it's hard to be humble when you're as good as I am. But, you know, maybe same kind of thing. So here it was this guy and he's just like, he knew his place was this revered place being a sophist and he's like, I should be rewarded for that. But really, who, what glory does he want? He wants it for himself. And clearly in Paul's ministry, the love of Christ is controlling him, compelling him because he wants Jesus to get the glory and the good news of Jesus and his salvation come to the people. So as we go through the text, 
uh, you'll see that as, and that's good background to understand what was going on. So Paul gets down uh, after uh, verse 16 and 17, and verse 17 is just a great verse, right? Gives, gives us hope. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have gone, the new things have come. So you can see that there in your Bible. And then he goes on to say, this ministry was now given to us to share this. And in your Bibles, look at uh, verse 20. Because there is this ministry that Jesus had to reconcile everything and to not count our sins against him. Therefore, because of that, look at verse 20. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ, he was saying. As though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now ambassadors, we know that term. We still have ambassadors in our world. They'll carry a message from a higher authority to another place. So we see this a lot politically now. There'll be ambassadors, you know, to Ireland and ambassador to other countries. I just randomly picked Ireland for some reason. But we have ambassadors of the United States that are all over the world and they represent us there uh, in the government offices and stuff in other countries. Uh, in Paul's day, ambassadors not only had that kind of representation, but they were the very important people. And so they were educated, they were eloquent, and guess who kind of became the ambassadors? All the sophists who knew they could speak well. So it was kind of dominated by that one group of people. And in fact, it was a crowning achievement of their career. Like getting the corner office on the high floor with all the windows or, you know, becoming the head of your company or whatever. It was there to them. It was the crowning achievement of their career because they represented the community, but they loved the power. But Paul says in this text, referring to himself and his co-workers in ministry, and therefore related to us, if you're a Christian in this room today and you follow Jesus Christ, this ministry of being an ambassador for Jesus, we're the people people should listen to. Because we have the most glorious and wonderful and powerful message that there is. And then he sums it up so... Maybe so simply in verse 21. Now, how many of you have a hard time sharing the gospel? It's okay to admit it. A lot of us do. Okay. And sometimes it's because you're not quite sure what to say. Other times in our age, we're afraid of tough questions. We won't know how to answer the questions. Anybody kind of ever have that experience? Yeah. So um, look at verse 21. Because here Paul, to me, he explains the gospel in one sentence. It's a compound sentence. Mine has a comma in the middle. He's talking about Jesus Christ and he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. There it is in yellow. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. One sentence. I want you to take a minute 
And I want you, with somebody you came with or somebody that your friends with sits, sits near you, behind you, I want you to see, I know you can read it. I'm not going to ask you to memorize it, although it's a great verse to memorize. Can you explain that in your own words to somebody sitting near you? Practice telling the gospel to someone right near you. Maybe somebody you came with, somebody that's in your row. What would you say? This is about Jesus. It's about us. What would you say? Go ahead, practice. They won't judge you, okay? Go ahead, practice. I'll leave that up on the screen so you can look at it. How would you say it to somebody else in your own words? Now, if you actually become a Christian in this moment from the person talking to you because they did such a good job, then we'll, we'll give them $20. You might include some other words that aren't in there. Did anyone, because it says that he who knew no sin, did you say that Jesus was perfect, pure, but he, it says, to be sin on our behalf? Did, did, did Maybe you brought up the cross, how Jesus had to die on the cross. Well, why? Because sin was being punished, right? And that was our sin, but he became sin for us. And there's this great exchange Right? And then we get this righteousness of God when Jesus takes our sin. It's actually a beautiful picture. I like to think about it after Christmas time, actually. Because how many of you after Christmas have been known to uh, go back to the store and return something you got that your aunt bought you that you didn't like? And you got something else. No? No one wants, if your aunt's in the room, don't raise your hand. But, if she's not in the room, how many of you would admit to do that, right? You're exchanging something that isn't good, doesn't fit you, whatever. You don't like it for something that is great, that you wanted, right? So here it is, this great exchange. It's this beautiful picture. And isn't that the love of Christ? That, that should compel us, right? That he does that for sinners. He became sin so we could get his righteousness in its place. How many of you were relatively comfortable finding your own words to say for that here to the person next to you. A little bit? It's okay if you weren't. How many of you were still uncomfortable? You're like, I'm not sure what to say. Maybe? Okay. Let's not overcomplicate the gospel. Here it is. In so many words. Right? There's other verses. There's other great verses. John 3.16 is a familiar one talks about God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus won't die but have eternal life, right? He uses that imagery of death and life. Here it uses the opposite imagery of sin and righteousness. There's this great exchange that takes place. And the gospel, as we live it out, should reflect that that transformation, that exchange has taken place. In fact, if you were filling in the blanks at the top of that page, you filled in Paul remembers his purpose, right? You filled that in at the beginning from the first slide. Paul remembers his purpose. Well, if you're filling out the blanks then on that line, just right above where the box is, how can you learn to live out your purpose? How can you learn to live out your purpose? I don't believe our purpose is different than Paul's. He had this ministry to people that were lost 
And God still uses us, these jars of clay, to bring forth and display the beautiful message of Jesus Christ that's given to us. How can you learn to live out your purpose? There's two things I see uh, that I want to highlight, and we'll go into that box. So 2 Corinthians 5, of course, is part of a letter. Paul didn't write the chapter numbers or the little verse numbers. He just wrote a letter. And so we kind of put those in so we could together identify how to find the same spot. So our chapter 5, of course, is buffeted by his whole introduction, chapters 1 through 4, and then what follows, chapter 6 and following. But specifically, as you read it, you'll see um, that Second Corinthians 5 comes from the new covenant. Comes from, he talks about this new covenant in chapters 3 and 4. It's a new promise and a covenant that God himself made to secure the strength of that promise. And so out of that promise, Paul, so see, Paul isn't making up his own message. Paul isn't living in his own strength. He's like, this is all from God. And this is from the new covenant he made. And so he draws from that imagery, chapters 3 and 4. And then it leads to this outward-focused ministry and uncompromised living. In fact, into chapter 6, he urge, he starts to urge him more and more. Like, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, do it now. Today is the day to do it. Do it now. So this outward-focused ministry. Now, if Paul had an inward-focused ministry, he probably would have fought to live much more comfortably than he did. He probably wouldn't have had the patience to endure all the troubles and threats and discomforts and sacrifices he made, he, he wouldn't have done it. The love of Christ compelled him to this outward-focused ministry. And then uncompromised living. Chapter 7, look at it in your Bible. It's the only place you'll see it. It won't be on the screen. In your Bible, it'll say in chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, the fact that he loved Jesus so much meant two things to him. One, he wanted other people to know about it. And two, he wanted to live out what that meant. So he wasn't just going to keep sinning or keep living for himself. But remember the world he lived in, right? It was a very brash and outgoing and polished world where he certainly would have had the temptations to look good. And to live in his own strength, to try to argue against the sophists in a way where he was a better orator or something like that. He could have measured it on the things that don't matter. The things that the world looks at, the outward appearance. Today that, you know, I work with students a lot working at a school and, you know, you, just, you can see easily the, the comparisons they make if you don't have the, you know, the right label on your clothes. I mean, that was true for us, right? How many of you had, used to have the little alligator on your collared shirt, right? That was back in my day, I think, right? So, you know, and the, what everything looks like, right? So if you're wearing bell bottoms and skinny jeans or anything, like, with those trends keep coming and going, and sometimes we evaluate people on those kind of things that aren't important. And here, Paul says, I'm, I'm evaluating Christ as the savior of the world. And you can evaluate me as a minister of the gospel 
who loves Jesus and is compelled to give you this message. And it led Paul to uncompromised living. He said, let's cleanse ourselves of all this defilement of flesh and spirit. Let's live the way so that when people see the reality of our commitment to Christ, it won't be just our words about it, but they'll say, wow, that, you know, God's really got a hold of your life. I can see the difference he's making. And that'll be part of the treasure that's in the jar of clay because it's the real light and the real life of Jesus that he gives us. So how can we think about that in one short, easy sentence? Well, I thought about it this way. So you can write that down in the final uh, box at the bottom of your notes if you're taking notes. Focus on what is eternal, not what is temporary. People are eternal. Their souls are eternal. God's glory is eternal. Let's live for those things. And let's put aside some of the temporary things that would distract us or would cause us to disregard a person because they look different than we do. Let's focus on what's eternal and not what is temporary. There's a very needy world around us that needs the good news of Jesus. There's a very sinful world around us that needs us to stand apart and not live in all that sin. And there's a God who's worthy of it all, who's loved us and gave himself for us. So that he took our sin and through him we can have the right righteousness and life of God in him. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.